0: Well, if you'd open your Bibles back up to John chapter 3. If you haven't been with us, we have been uh, going through a little series on love. We're actually on the last one this week. Next week, we're having our mission Sunday. Love to have you come along and celebrate with us uh, the missions work of our missionaries and think about how we're on mission together. And then the next week after that, we're starting our series on the life of Joseph. Uh, And it should should be great. But we're finishing up... Love this week. Our culture tends to think about love in about three main categories. First is kind of the skin deep category, which is just what you hear in your pop culture songs. It's that one minute love of, of eros and sensuous love. Then there's the uh, romantic sappy love. That's the love of the, the sitcoms and the romantic comedies. It's the kind of love that lasts as long as the situation lasts. And then there's the the coexist love. The unthinking, kind of universal tolerance love. I I call it the whatever love. Whatever. Love you no matter what. Even if you're doing something that destroys your life, I love you. It's not something that really cares. It's distant. But the love we have been learning about... In the Bible, in this series, love of God has been radically different and deep. It's, it's about a relational self-giving and an absorbing of, of wrongs and a bearing of burdens and speaking the truth, and it has the staying power of eternity. Last week, we looked at 1 Thessalonians and the love uh, in the church, there the love of the apostles, and the apostle Paul described the love there as the love of a, a nursing mother. It's that love that's that face to face personal love that actually gives right out of herself to grow and uh, help the other person live. Now, this morning, as we consider love, I thought as we ended this little series, we would end on John 3:16 uh, it's a good place to end uh, it's a, quite a verse it's it's, it's been known as uh, the, uh, the greatest sentence ever written it's the clearest simple statement of the gospel in all the Bible and it's arguably the most beloved and well-known verse of all time not only is it very popular today but it was actually one of the key verses, key texts of the Eastern Orthodox liturgy going all the way back to A.D. 400. This verse has shaped the church. This verse has shaped modern evangelicalism. So much so that, you know, you can't watch an NFL football game without seeing this verse in the end of an end zone. If you've watched football, you know what I'm talking about. It's so popular today, I would say it's the only verse that we could recite together just cold, couldn't we? Just like VBS. So that's what we're going to do right now. But we're going to end with the reference, just like VBS. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16. Couldn't do that with any other verse. But here's the thing there's a little phrase. It's called familiarity breeds contempt. Kids, that means, you're, that means you're so familiar with something. You know something so well that you don't really think about it anymore. You don't even think about what it means. It's kind of the yeah, yeah, John 3.16. Well, this morning, what I want us to do is think about this verse. I want us to think about what this verse tells us about God's love, the love that we've received, the love that we're supposed to give as Christians. And the first thing I want us to note about this verse is that it tells us that God's love is really unconditional. I was just going to say unconditional, but I put really in there because it's really unconditional. I want you to underline that. There's a realness to the unconditional nature of God's love that goes beyond how we tend to think. See, we, most of us like to think that we're kind of capable of unconditional love. We, we think that, especially in relationship to, you know, those good friends or romantic love. You know, I, I, I love you no matter what. I love you with all your flaws. I love you forever. We think we have this unconditional love. But we really don't. And it, it's, uh, one, one place that it's exposed is in our Hallmark cards. If you, if you look at Hallmark cards, they all, they're about loving somebody. They all say something to this end. They say, I love you because you are so kind and sweet. Or because you are fun and beautiful and loyal. Or because of the way you love me. Or they say, I love you for the way you laugh at my jokes. For the way you move and breathe. For the way your eyes sparkle when you're happy. They're nice romantic words. But they're really just lists of the conditions. Right? They're lists of the because or the for. They they give us away. God's love is really, fully, functionally, unconditional. There's no because, there's no for. And this is brought out very clearly in this verse by the word world. It says, for God so loved the world. Now, this word tells us two things about the unconditionalness of God's love. First, it tells us the scope of his unconditionalness. The word world seems fairly inclusive, doesn't it? In fact, in the original language, it's the word cosmos. It's it's speaking of God's universal love for all people. His action in sending his son is an act towards everybody. There is no condition to its scope and bounds. Now, I have to say, there are scholars who want to limit this down. And say, well, John isn't speaking about God's love for everybody. He's talking about just all God's people, his special people in the, the world. Doesn't really mean everybody. But I would say, no, they're wrong. It means everybody. You see, Jesus has just been speaking, in the context here, he's just been speaking to Nicodemus, a, a ruler of the Jews. A leader of God's special people and the Jews over the years had developed an expectation that God was going to eventually come and save them his special people whom he loved and and judge everybody else the bad people that he hated the world and Jesus is actually correcting that notion here for Nicodemus he's just said to them note that he's just said to them in verse 15 that whoever Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Note that whoever. And then skip down on verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Jesus is actually going after Nicodemus's religious exclusivism when it comes to the love of God. We kind of see this inclusiveness from the very beginning of the book. If you flip back one page to chapter 1, verse 6, this is the beginning. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. All might believe through him. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world if you're not sure about it yet look at just after our text in John chapter 4 where Jesus has been speaking to uh, the woman at the well the Samaritan woman and after she hears from Jesus she invites all her friends to hear from him and after they hear him this is what they say chapter 4 verse 42 they said to the woman it is no longer because of what you said that we believe For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. I could go on, but God's love is not conditioned on ethnicity or religious background or social status. He is truly for all. He loves the world, all of us, in sending his son. Now, right here, I think we tend uh, to fall short, don't we, of loving like this. We like to say we love everybody. I love the world, but I don't. The scope of my love is actually very limited. I have these little circles, right? There's like my family, my wife, my kids. I love them most of the time. And then there's, you know, my extended family. I love them. Then there's the church, all of you. I love you until I'm tired. And it's funny, even with my inner circles, that love kind of shrinks as, as the day goes on and I get tired and hungry until I can barely love the person who's feeding me at dinner. Right? We don't love like this. But you know, the word world here doesn't just show us the unconditional scope of God's love. It shows us the unconditional depth because the word world here is actually not a nice word. The Greek word behind it, cosmos, is is universal in scope, but it's actually here evil in its connotation. It has a connotation of evil. And this isn't of an evil world. And he's not talking about, you know, the trees. He's talking about the people. Describes, it describes, it, it, that word describes a community of all mankind in rebellion against God. The theological way of referring to this is cosmos diabolicus, the evil world of mankind. This is how John uses this term. Look at chapter 3, verse 19. We're doing a little bit of flipping today, but it's important for the context, chapter three, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Look at John chapter seven, verse seven. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Chapter 12, verse 31. now is the judgment of this world now will the ruler of this world be cast out i could go on but this is how john uses this word you see this world all mankind everybody according to john is set against god because it's our very nature jesus says this in mark 7 31 he says from with without Man, from within, out of man comes all the evil, all the evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all of it, he lists it off. That comes from within. In Romans, Paul says there's no one righteous, not even one. No one seeks after God. Now, kind of ironically, there is nothing our world today hates and denies more than this truth. Of our sinful evil natures we don't like it in our sinfulness we reject it your modern person is sure that we as humankind we are good at our core yes we're a bit flawed but surely we're progressing through education and enlightenment and gentrification and thus we'll eventually kind of work everything out for all good If you've grown up in the modern school system, this is your self-belief doctrine, that you're inherently biased towards good. You are good. And while there's no doubt that we can do good, even great things, after all, we're made in the image of God, the fact is the Bible says it's all tainted by our sin. All our goodness is fractured and contaminated. Due to our sinful, wicked hearts. And if you stop and think about it, the evidence for this kind, this stuff is is kind of overwhelming, right? You think about history, I can just quickly go through the, the conflicts and atrocities of the last hundred years, just a few of them from Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Rwanda, North Korea, Vietnam. The Sudan, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Palestine, Northern Ireland, Idi Amin, Zimbabwe, the Congo, Burma, 9-11, Syria, terrorist, terrorist attacks all around, not to mention all our school shootings right here. That's just recent stuff. It's amazing how in the face of all of history, all the horrible atrocities and violence, we still try to deny the reality of our sinful brokenness. We kind of want to wash over it and pretend it's not real. I don't know if you guys remember the movie *Good Morning Vietnam* uh, with Robin Williams. He he plays this DJ to the force of the armed forces during the Vietnam War, and he's putting out all these, uh, uh, playing all this music for them. And there's this scene in the movie that, that kind of illustrates this this tension in us where he puts on the music, the song by uh, the famous Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World, and it begins to play. You know the song? I see trees of green, red roses too. I better put my glasses on. I, I see them bloom for me and you. And why this is happening, this music is playing they're just showing scenes of the carnage, planes coming in and napalming villages and people dying. As this music goes on, it's, it's this contradiction. That's how we are. We want to live in denial. We want to pretend things are wonderful. And if you say, "Well, Carrie, those are kind of extreme examples you're only giving one side of the story i know wonderful people nice good people and i'm a pretty good person okay well let's get personal then think about your marriage or relational life for a minute you've picked out that one person you think is the the greatest person you could live with spend your life with you find them attractive and beautiful they even smell good And you like their personality, too. They're the whole package for you. That's why you're with them, and vice versa. Yet, often, you can barely get along. And sometimes, you're just a complete jerk to them. And you know it. And if you don't know it, they know it. One of the little caption I have here is from when I do marriage counseling from a guy named Gary Russisi, says this, one of the best wedding gifts God gave you is the, a full-length mirror called your spouse. Had there been a card attached, it would have said, here's to helping you discover what you're really like. <laughs> think about history, think about your personal life, think about your thought life, what you dwell on when your thoughts wander. Is it all beautiful and pure stuff? No, the fact is, if our thoughts' life were exposed, we couldn't look each other in the eye. We've been broken and fractured by our sin and our rebellion. And we've tried to live in God's world as if he doesn't exist, ignore the giver of our very lives, and make life about us, and it's evil. It's destroying us. It's destroying the world. Just open your eyes. God loves this world. He loves this world. That's unconditional love. It's got to be. In fact, I think it's uh, a term Tim Keller used was contra-conditional love. You see, God's hallmark card would start, I love you, not because... But in spite of, I love you in spite of your hate and your bitterness and your anger and your secret thoughts and perversions and the terrible words that come out of your mouth and your repeated lies and hypocrisy and your ingratitude and selfishness. In fact, I, I love you even when you treat me like I don't exist and curse my name. Christians, we need to remember that this is the love that we've received. We need to strive to emulate the love of our Father. If we're ever going to kind of be a reaching church, a church effective for Christ's kingdom, we need to emulate His love. You see, the truth is, in our sinfulness... We tend, like the Jews, like Nicodemus, like the the religious elite, to have kind of an exclusivism in our love. We limit our love to certain circles of people that we feel deserve it. And we tend to look on out at the world with, with contempt and fear and withdraw to wait for God to come and bring down his judgment on all the evil people and save the good ones he loves. Kind of waited out in our our holy huddle, our little commune. For God so loved the world, everybody, all the wicked, sinful world, which includes us. His love, he loves this world so much that he reaches towards us and enters in with us for our salvation. That's our, our Father, that's Jesus Christ, that's Christian. This should be the movement of our lives towards. And of course, as he does this, does this, as he entered in, he, he takes action, which brings me to the second point about God's love here, and that is it's truly compassionate. It's not just really unconditional, it's truly compassionate. Again, I think we like to think about our love this way. We think that, that we're compassionate in love, right? I see the, the world relief commercials on TV where there's starving children or the ones for Operation Smile with the disfigured faces of these little babies, and I can hardly watch. I get teary. It upsets me because I'm compassionate, right? Right? I saw a movie with my family, I think it was called The Impossible, in which a boy is desperately trying to save his mother from drowning in a tsunami. And I could relate. I wanted to save my mom. Because I'm compassionate, right? Well, that's not really compassion. It's empathy, maybe. But compassion goes a lot farther. The word literally means to suffer along with. It's to realize someone's suffering in such an intimate way that you actually take it on. You enter into their reality. Notice the word perish in our text today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Here's the start of God's compassion the reality that drives his compassionate action towards us. This is the start. Perish. We are heading for destruction because we've cut ourselves off from him who is our life. He created our life. He sustains. We've rejected him. And because of that, the Bible says we are perishing. We are dying. Like think 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 of a a branch cut off a tree. It looks good. You hold it up, it's still green, it looks beautiful. But it's cut off from its life. It's as dying and it's as good as dead. That's us. And we're under God's judgment. It's interesting that the judgment that we're under actually fits the crime. We've ignored God, wanted nothing to do with Him, and He knows that's what will happen in our deaths, that we will be cut off from Him, from His holy presence in our sin forever. We will get our heart's desire, deservedly and rightly. And He knows what this means, this separation This perishing, that means the the absence of anything good forever, because all good is from him. He calls it hell. Jesus warns people about it in the most graphic language. Jesus himself says, if your eye is leading you there, cut it out. If your hand is, cut it off. Better to lose it in this life than to go into hell with two good limbs. It's a place where the flame never quenches. Why would Jesus speak that way? Because he knows it's real. He knows we are perishing and heading for a horrific eternity. You see, when people joke around that they're going to go on the highway to hell and party, it's because they don't know what Jesus knows. Jesus knows the truth. He knows we are perishing, and it drives him to a love that more than feels for us but a love that enters in, that moves towards us and engages our situation and suffers with us, suffers for us. Compassionate love. This is so important for us to get. Our God's incredible love is is driven by his sure knowledge of the consequence of our sin that's coming. He desperately wants none of us ever experience it he feels it deep in his being and he's moved to true compassion he steps in in radical self-giving action but before we look at that action I just want to ask us as Christians do we believe this do we believe the world is perishing See, we'll never be motivated to love like our God does, to love unconditionally, to love compassionately if we don't get a hold of this reality. We say we, we want to be an evangelistic church that reaches out with the gospel. We say we want to have, have this driven love for others in our personal lives, but it will always be weak and anemic if we don't grasp and keep before us this reality, that people are perishing. It's so easy to forget as we look out at the world of people that seem fine, they're just busy going about their lives, seem like they're flourishing, and our society likes to pretend that death is just a peaceful passing into nothingness or nirvana. And we can get caught up in our narrow tunnel vision which All we can, you know, we can't see neither heaven or, or hell. We can only see kind of what's right in front of us. The task of the day. So that we go about our lives like everybody else. Like everything's going to be fine. And that mindset, love, compassionate love, love that takes action, withers to almost nothing. People are perishing. Do we believe it? Do we live in this reality? Jesus did. It drove him not only to enter into our corrupt world of sin and suffering, but it drove him to the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You see, God gave his son, his one and only, his beloved And his son Jesus willingly submitted, gave himself. Jesus entered into our suffering and judgment, true compassion. In fact, at the cross, he took on himself all, the Bible says, the wickedness and evil of all mankind for all time and all history. When Rico Tice was here, the guy that was in the video, he was here once and preached here. And he, he gave this great illustration. He said, think of a magnifying glass. He said When you were a kid, you might have used it to burn a hole in a paper because you could focus all the sun rays, sun's rays through a little magnifying glass. I did that. I burned ants and bugs and all kinds of stuff. He said, think about this giant magnifying glass in the sky focusing all the evil and sin of the whole world down to one pinpoint. And that would be on, as Jesus hung on the cross. He took it all. He died for us. He took our death and our hell, the very fiery judgment of God that we deserve. It's a love that really goes beyond compassion because he didn't just come alongside us. He stepped in for us. Why? That we may not perish but have eternal life. Life with the Father forever. Life with everything good thing and no sin or evil. Life the way it was meant to be. No one has to perish because Jesus perished for us. Which brings me to the final point about God's love. I think we see in this verse. It's not just really, really unconditional and truly compassionate, it's also very compelling. Notice the word believe in the text. It's actually stated five times in the span of three verses from 14 to 18. It says, as Moses lift, verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that's Jesus on the cross, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Life. Verse 18 Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This incredible, unconditional, compassionate love of God brings brings this extremely compelling call to every single one of us. We're called to believe. To respond in belief. In, in, in the Bible, that, that's about trust. You see, Jesus has just given this illustration to Nicodemus about how in the Old Testament there was a time when God's people were, were dying, they were sick, they had been dying from these snake bites, and they needed to be healed. And he had Moses lift up a, a golden serpent on, on, on a cross, on, on, on a stick, up, and they all had to look to it to be healed. Look to it in faith and believe God's promise. They would be healed. And so he says now, in a similar way, we must look to Jesus as he's lifted up on the cross. Nicodemus, the Jewish people, the Gentiles, all of us, whoever believes, we're all called to look to him. And trust him. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And that is a real offer. the best offer ever. And I can tell you it's a real offer, not just because Jesus said it, but also because he did it, because he didn't just die on the cross and conquer sin and death. He rose to do new life coming back with that same offer, demonstrating that he conquered sin and death and he's bought our forgiveness. And I can tell you it's real because he saved me. And so can many others in this church right here. That's why we're here. Christians don't just naturally, you know, they're not just naturally religious people who... Like getting up early on Sundays and singing and having bad coffee together. No, we're here because we put our trust in Jesus and He saved us. We've received His love. Do you believe this morning? Will you believe? Have you trusted Him with your life? He calls us all to believe and be saved. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a minute when I pray. But I just want to say to the believers here today, this love of God continues to compel us, doesn't it? God's love, His love for the whole world, for everybody, it's a love that that calls us to to go forth with it, proclaiming it. it, calls us to shed any pride, full exclusivism, any contempt, any religiosity, any protective isolationism. To see that our world is perishing and be filled with true compassion that acts and moves towards the lost, even the wicked. And proclaims his salvation, the salvation we've received. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let me pray. And you can pray with me if you'd like to respond in belief today. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for seeing us in in our sin and in our broken condition and moving towards us with your life entering into our pain and suffering and dying for us. Thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you for taking my punishment at the cross. Thank you for bringing me life. I ask you for your forgiveness. I rely on your death and resurrection for my life. And I ask you to help me to live for you now. Pray these things. Your name, amen.